Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. This will be the episode to go alongside the blog post for October 14th. As always, in that post I will link to all the books, the quotes, the reviews, and the miscellaneous other things that I will be mentioning. I can't believe you guys that it's already the second week, well into the second week of October. Jen and I were just talking about this in an email because, oh my god, it's almost November and where did the entire year go to. It may only be the middle of October, but we already had a little bit of snow here. Don't worry, it didn't stick to the ground. It was far too warm for that, but the dog and I walked out the other day in a definite snowstorm. It was definitely snowflakes that was coming down. They just weren't sticking, so there's that at least. Hopefully it'll be at least another month before it sticks to the ground. That would be awesome, but it's Utah, so who knows. This week on Twitter, I only have a couple of quick threads to talk about. The first one was from Jen, who was talking about how old romance titles, you know, 20 and 30 years ago, that are being republished with a new cover, but, you know, nothing's really being changed in the book, and they're being labeled as new releases, and then being sold for, you know, six, seven bucks. We're talking about how that's a, a hard pass and a shitty thing for publishers to do. So this was brought up by an older Kay Hooper book, uh, actually two of her books from the 80s that were republished this Tuesday, though you really would have to dig a bit to even figure out that they're not new releases because that's how they were being sold and labeled everywhere. It doesn't say anything in the blurb, it doesn't say anything on the publication information like on Amazon or whatever. If you were to just come across the, you know, the link to it on Amazon, you would think it was a new book from that author and you would one-click it without thinking. But it's actually a reprint of a book from like 1982, 86, 80 something, so you know, 30 years or so old, that they've just put a new cover to and released it digitally, and they're charging six or six ninety nine for it. That's a lot for something that is 30 years old, and you could literally go and find a used copy of the print book for less than a buck. So that also brought the conversation around to what is your hard limit for republished books that's that old, that's being republished now digitally, what is your hard limit for a price to buy them? And Jen and I were agreeing that, honestly, something that old shouldn't be more than a couple dollars on Kindle, because you can so easily go and find the old print copies. And yeah, I guess you could argue that you're paying for the convenience of a ebook, but it shouldn't be that much for something that is that old, and obviously it's going to be dated. Like, these are contemporaries, or they were contemporaries when they were written in the 80s. To read them now, they're going to be very much dated. They're not going to read like a 2017 book, even though they're being republished as if they are a 2017 book, which is publishers, authors, let's have a talk real quick, okay? Don't pull this shit. If you have a book that you are revising, republishing, it's going out through a new publisher, it's being self-published now, you know, whatever. If it's a book that's already been out in some way, shape, or form before, and you're putting it out again, you need to make that clear in your book information, in the blurb, on the Amazon listing, whatever, especially in the blurb. I think that'd be probably the best and easiest way to do it across the board. Put it in the blurb that this is a republished title, because nothing is going to, to piss off a reader more than thinking that there's a new book out by, let's say, a favorite author, and they one-click it, only to find out that it's just a reprint of a book that they read 20 or 30 years ago. That's, that's going to piss off a reader 
every single time. So just stop being sneaky about it. If you're going to redo, if you're going to put new covers on it, if you're going to change to a different publisher, we had this happen a lot when Laura's Cave and Sam Hain went off. Authors were pulling those books and republishing them again, which is great. But some of these authors weren't making it clear in their new listing that it was a revised, recovered, now self-published title that used to be through a different publishing house. And I saw quite a bit of chatter on Twitter at the time that readers were not happy that they were almost conned into buying a book they thought was a new book that was really just an old book put out again on the market. So just just don't do that, okay? Just don't be sneaky. That never goes well. I will leave a link to that thread if you want to go and see what else Jen and some other readers had to say about, about it. And if you want to see the definitely very 80s style original cover for, I believe it's the book was The Rafe, The Maverick by Kay Hooper. I'm pretty sure that's what started all of this. But there was two books in that series or in that whatever from Kay Hooper that was put out again this week. The only other Twitter conversation I guess to tell you about, this was just last night and it was a very fun conversation. It definitely made Twitter a little bit more enjoyable instead of a whole bunch of doom and gloom of reality that's 2017. But I was talking about how there is nothing hotter than a historical romance hero, or any hero, doesn't matter the genre, but I was, I was reading historical at the time, but a historical romance hero who has to rush home to his bedchamber and jerk off. There is nothing hotter than that. I'm just, I need a moment. And apparently most of Twitter agreed with me. That led to the discussion of, you know, hey, the only thing that would have made it better, I said, was if it was the heroine who had to do that. Because listen, female masturbation is a thing. Romancelandia is getting better about this, I think, than it did in previous years. But it's still, if it's mentioned now, it's most often just mentioned in passing. But you don't really see it on page, even though you might see the hero on page jerking off or whatever. But we don't get much of anything ever from the heroine, whether that's historical, contemporary, paranormal, whatever. So my, I guess my plea to authors is give your heroine some self-love too, okay? If you think that your hero is frustrated and needs to go home and stroke one out, guess what? Your heroine probably does too because that's just the reality. It doesn't matter the gender. Sexual frustration and desire and wanting to just get off, that's, that's totally a thing and I'd like to see it a little bit more in the romances. That whole little discussion was brought up by one of my current reads, which I'll get to at the end of this, and I will probably be talking more about it next week when I've actually finished that book. So I'll circle back around to this whole the hero jerking off thing and how hot it was. Don't worry. Stay tuned. I've, I've got you reeled in with that little bit of a tease. You'll have to come back next week to get the full thing. I will also link to that tweet that I did and some of the other tweets that other people responded to it with. You can go have fun on Twitter about masturbation and heroes and romance landia, which is an awesome discussion and I'm totally here for it. I was glad to have started that last night. Quick look back at things from the blog this week in case you missed anything. We had three reviews go up. The first one, Pat gave New Tricks by Kelly Moran five stars, making it a royal pick for October. She calls this series a delightful blend of humor, family, friendship, and hot romance. The hero is a surgical vet, and the heroine is a dog groomer there. She's also the best friend to his late wife, so there's some conflict and tension going there. And the cover for this one is pretty cute too, I think. And then Jen ended up reading Elizabeth Hoyt's newest Duke of Desire, which comes out on Tuesday. She gave it four and a half stars, making it a royal pick for October as well. She explains how the 
the setup for some of the conflict here could have could have went very bad very quickly. Think Julia Quinn's The Duke and I. But instead, Hoyt handled it well, and overall it was a great read for her. It's one of the few historical romances that she follows. This author is one of the few that she follows. So if you have some great recommendations for other historicals that Jen should read, check out that review and leave a comment there, a recommendation for her there. Jen also reviewed an older release, Robin Covington's Sex and the Single Vamp, giving it a solid five stars and making it a royal pick for October as well. She calls it fast-paced, sexy, and fun, and says sometimes you just want to read about vampires fighting and fucking, to which I wholeheartedly agree. I've had my eye on this book since Pat reviewed it back in 2014. She also gave it five stars then. So, you know, between these two, I guess I, guess I should really push this one to the top of my list, huh? I ought to listen to you guys more. <laughs> Okay, and be sure to check out the usual weekly post as well, the lusting for covers that went up on Sunday, the new releases that went up on Tuesday, and of course the daily book deals that went up Monday through Saturday. So if you're, you know, looking for another, you need more to add to that TBR, you can find it in the new releases, and you can find it in the daily deals. And in fact, some of the new releases this week were also on sale for like 99 cents and $1.99. I think I marked all of those in the new release post, so a win-win there. You can get something new and cheap. And I think that's, I think that's it. So should we move along to what you actually came here for, which is me chatting about the books that I read for the week. So this week I read four books again. Not a bad week at all. As far as numbers, the books themselves, I'm going to be honest, they were all pretty, pretty much kind of a middle of the road meh. Luckily there's no one star rants like last week, but nothing went over four stars for me this week. And even that four star one was kind of, I don't want to say that it was forgettable, but it's kind of one of those that it's hard to say a whole lot about. There's not really a whole lot to say, which I will get to that in due time. But let's start from the first book that I finished, shall we? So I finished my audiobook, which was Magic Burns by Alona Andrews, narrated by Renee Rodman, and I ended up giving this one three stars. This one is first POV from the heroine Kate. So Kate is a mercenary. She has some magical powers. It's a bit unclear exactly the full range of her powers. It's kind of hinted at that her father might not be, I guess, human completely, for lack of a better word, but it's not exactly when it, they didn't exactly go into it all in this book. I'll have to see where that goes in the rest of the series and get back to you. But she definitely has magical powers. She's a bit kick-ass. The hero for this one is Kern. He is the beast lord that's over the area's shapeshifters, kind of like the top alpha period. Regardless of what kind of shapeshifter they are, he is the top over all of them. He is a lion shifter himself. I really liked Kate's attitude and snark. Huh, I wonder why. Could it be because I'm very snarky and sarcastic myself? Probably so. But anyway, I, I quite like that about her character. I mean, for heaven's sake, she greets Kern with here kitty kitty when she first sees him because he was in his shifter form. I mean, that is that is some first class snark there. I like that. And then later on, she sends him a bowl of cream to his table while they're in a restaurant. They're not in the restaurant together, obviously. But she calls over the waiter and says, take a bowl of cream over to him over there. I'm here for that level of snark from my heroines. Totally here for it, so I like that about her. I'm definitely curious about how their romance will eventually unfold. This is an urban fantasy. The romance does not come into play here in the first book. There's there's nothing really in this book. There is a kiss or two, I believe. That is about it. There's no real relationship growth yet. There's obviously no sex yet. So I'm just, I'm curious to see how it's going to turn out in the end. I was a bit unclear on a lot of the world here. 
And I knew this going in. So I knew before I picked this one up from listening to other readers who recommend it, but, you know, recommend it with kind of some notes. They do say that this one definitely suffers from first book in a series-itis, I suppose you would call it, where there's both some vagueness in, you know, questions answered, but also kind of some info dump for world building. And the result of that is that it can be kind of slow and yet also leave you unsure or leave you confused about some of the world, but that it does get better in the later books. So I will have to continue and see if that is the case or not. And I'm definitely planning on continuing it. This one wasn't a must-read for me, but I enjoyed it. I found it very much entertaining, but it was also creepy and gruesome. I mean, there are some really fucked up creatures in this world. Really fucked up. And they just about gave me some nightmares. Not even gonna lie about it. So this one is... This isn't some pretty paranormal romance. I mean, just get that out of the way. For one thing, it's not a paranormal romance. It's definitely urban fantasy. This is very much a gritty, sometimes even dark urban fantasy. And that may or may not work for some readers. For me, it's really not my thing. But again, I liked it here, even if some of the parts kind of made me pull a face and want to close my ears and not listen. But <laughs> like I said, I don't think that I'm going to end up loving this series as much as some readers have. But I'm definitely curious enough to continue it and see where it goes. I didn't hate this book. I didn't exactly love it. I think it's just more that I'm a straight romance reader than so much an urban fantasy reader. Even though there's sometimes a crossover between those two and there can definitely be romantic elements within an urban fantasy series, I guess I just want, I want my romance to be more front and center instead of something that's slowly built up over the course of multiple books like this. The narrator was good. I really enjoyed her performance. I really don't have any complaint about that. My one complaint, I think, is more of the audio quality, and I think it's due to the age. So this book was originally released back in the mid-2000s. I think it was like 2006, and the audiobook was done about that time too, as far as I know. So you're looking at an audiobook that was done 11 years ago, and the quality of recording and stuff has obviously increased and went up since then. So I think that this one wasn't nearly as crisp and clear in the audio quality, not her narration, but like the actual sound. And I think that's why. I think it's just the age of recording. Or maybe it could have been the specific file from my library. I don't know. But I do, I do think if you're interested in trying this series, going through the audio one is not a bad way to do it at all. From there, I moved on to Beginner's Luck by Kate Claiborne which comes out on the 31st of this month. It is dual first POV, and this one I ended up giving four stars, but this is also the one that I was mentioning earlier where I don't have a whole lot to say about it, even though I did enjoy it. So let's see if I can try and break that down in any way, shape, or form that makes sense. Kit is our heroine. She is a scientist. She works with metals. She does not have a PhD or anything, but she's hella smart and she probably knows more and definitely works harder than most of those who work above her and have the high degrees. She also just became a millionaire along with her two friends. The three of them bought a lottery ticket just on a whim and they happened to win. Ben is a recruiter for a science tech type company. I don't really know how to explain it. But he's not recruiting for like sports stars or anything like that. He goes after scientists instead to take them from being a, a public 
worker, whether it's at a university or stuff like that, and convince them to come and work for this company and bring along their research and their knowledge to help advance experiments and technology that will be sold then back to the public or to governments or whatever. So he's currently back home to help with his injured father. His father owns a salvage yard. Think like house restorations. They have a lot of things from I don't know, the 18, 1900s furniture and original pieces and parts and stuff like that. That's that's kind of salvage yard that his father runs. So he's back home to help take care of his father and to also help to run the salvage yard as well. And while he's back home, he's his boss or, uh, you know, one of the higher ups back in his office tells him to try and recruit Kit because Kit is at working at a university there in that town. I enjoyed this one. I truly have no complaints to give you about the story, about the writing, about the characters, but I also don't really have anything to talk about either. You know those type of books, though, where you like them, but you really don't have anything to say to explain why you liked it or why it was, in this case, a four stars and not five? That's that's the trouble that I'm going through right now. And I really hate those books only because... I only say this because they are the worst when it comes to trying to talk about and review them like this. So it's not that I hate that this, I hate anything about this book. I just hate trying to figure out how to tell you guys about this book. It was good. So this one is definitely a slow burn. By the time it does get into some action, it was pretty hot, but it's definitely not an explicit romance. The sex scenes are not terribly explicit. Still managed to be hot, I thought. And honestly, I think that's even harder to pull off than writing something that is very hot and dirty and explicit. So some authors can pull this off where it is more on the mild side but yet manages to be hot regardless and some authors can't. For me this one worked really well and I think that Kate did a good job with it so well done Kate. I loved the interactions between Ben and his dad. Those were quite fun and you could tell that they definitely cared for one another even if they didn't always like a lot of a lot of guys, I hate to stereotype, but like a lot of guys, maybe they don't always know how to communicate their love and their feelings between one another, but their interactions nonetheless were definitely very fun. You could tell that they deeply cared for each other. I really loved the friendship between Kit, Zoe, and Greer. I'm definitely curious to see what their stories are going to be like, especially since I think that Greer is going to be with Kit's older half-brother. I think that'll be quite an interesting story going there. So like I said, this book, it was just, it was cute. It was sweet. It was enjoyable. It was fun to read at times. I think it was a great debut, and I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for the rest of the series, but I just... I just don't have a whole lot more to say to you guys. I don't even think that I highlighted anything while I was reading this, which is kind of odd because I highlight the shit out of everything that I read, but I just didn't have a whole lot that jumped out at me for me to share on Twitter while I was reading. I don't know. Take that as you will as well. I definitely do recommend this one. I don't think that you would regret picking it up. I know I didn't do a whole lot to, to, to sell it to you guys just now, but I just, I just honestly don't have a whole lot to say. I wish I had more to say. It's good, though, and the cover is cute. From there, I moved on to another audiobook, Nobody But You by Jill Chalvez. This is the third book in the series. It is narrated by Karen White, who does, I think, almost all of the audiobooks for Chalvez. I ended up giving this one three stars. So this is the story of the Army Special Forces soldier, Jacob. He finally returns home, although it's just on leave for now, only to find that the heroine, Sophie, is living on a boat at his dock for the property that he's renting. She's recently divorced and trying to find herself again, and she's only got her ex's 
beloved boat and a bad case of seasickness to her name. So that was a kind of an interesting start to it. To be honest, this one is not my favorite from Chalvez. I've said before that Chalvez can be, I enjoy her books, but I never really find that they stick with me. And that's kind of the, definitely the case here again. Like I said, it's not my favorite from her. It wasn't horrible, but it's kind of that hard to explain average read. You know, it's enjoyable enough in the moment, but it's not going to be very memorable for me in the long run. So there's some sweet and fun moments because it's Shelva's and that's kind of what she does. The heat level here, mild, definitely not explicit. Again, that's typical Shelva's. I really have nothing there to complain about because I, I know going in what I'm going to get. One thing that I noticed while I was listening to this one, I've noticed it before, but... It was also always just kind of this niggle in the back of my mind while I was reading or listening, whichever it was at the time, to some of her previous books, and then it just kind of hit me during this one. But in every book that she has, well, scratch that, every book that I've read of hers, I haven't read every book of hers, so I can't say every book she's ever written does this. Every book of hers that I've read has this line in it at least once during a sex scene. And it's the heroine thinking that the hero then proceeded to make her lose her ever-loving mind. And that's always the way it's phrased. Proceeded to make her lose her ever-loving mind. And it usually comes about during oral for her. You know, he is giving her oral. And that's, that line showed up in here, and it just kind of hit me that I've heard that at least one time in every book that I've read or listened to from Chalvez in the last couple years. So, I don't know, it's just kind of a writing tick that I suppose she has, and the downside sometimes to reading one author, not necessarily back-to-back, -back, but I mean, I read I read the book two in this series just a month or two ago, and before that I'd read a different book in a different series of hers just a month or two before that. My point is, sometimes when you're reading multiple books by an author in a short period of time, you're more likely to pick up on the the writing quirks and ticks that they have, whereas if you space it out, you may not you may not necessarily pick up on those things from book to book. I definitely have picked up on it. It's not that it outright bothered me, but it was just kind of that thing where I'm going, you know, can't you can't you give us a little something different in your in your scenes? Because I, I think that maybe that's also it when I says it's not it's not overly explicit or hot in the sex scenes, but it's also that it feels like it feels like something she's already done and said before. Which again, that can be the case honestly with any author. It's not something that's just a you know an issue with Chalvez. Any author can get to be that way where things start to sound repetitive. So just kind of a note on that. I'm not sure if anyone else has picked up on that or noticed any other things with hers. If you have let me know. There was a few things, kind of throwaway comments, which is what it usually is, right, that came up throughout the book that just hit me the wrong way and pissed me off. So let's go over those, shall we? The first one, my only thought is, you know, why so white? And this is nothing new, you know, either in the series here by Chalvez or any of her series. And it's nothing new, obviously, in the romance genre as a whole. But it hit me kind of hard this time after a line about how Sophie, who was temporarily working at the taco stand in town, was the only white worker there. But that's it. That's the only mention of people of color in this entire town, in this entire series. And even then, the characters are not on page. They're not given names or they're not, you know, shown in any way, shape, or form. It's just mentioned, just like I told you, that she's the only white worker there. 
even when Jacob goes there to eat while she's working, of course she's the only one that's out working the front that he has to deal with. Of course she is. You know, heaven forbid that he goes into a taco stand in a book and it's not a white person there at the counter. Like, it just, it just hit me the wrong way, okay? This is, like I said, this is super, super fucking common in Romancelandia. And it's an issue that we really need to change. And we've been saying that for a long time and still it's not being changed. You know what? I'm going to start calling this shit out as I see it because I, I mean, honestly, I see it a lot. So it'd almost be easier to say what book does not whitewash the entire town or the entire series? Because point a finger anywhere in the genre and you're going to hit an author that does this, where it is a white, white, white town, a white, white, white city, a white, white, white series, right? But I'm going to try my hardest to do what I can do of pointing it out and calling this shit out when I see it, because I'm just, I'm kind of out of fucks to give, you guys. I spent way too long just being quiet and oblivious to some of this stuff. No more. Thank you, 2017, I suppose, or maybe even 2016 for bringing this about. But, you know, like I said on Twitter when I was talking to Melissa Blue, who is a um, black author, romance author, you really should check out her stuff. It's awesome. But I was talking to her about this, um, and I said, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather still like something, an author, a series, whatever. I'd rather like it and call out its problematic shit than love something blindly and not say anything at all about it. So some of these authors that is, you know, very much whitewashing their world, I might still be reading them for various reasons. I'm not going to stay quiet about the fact that they are whitewashing their romance world. So just kind of, you know, a note on that. So if you start hearing more often me say, well, this was an all white series, that's why. Because I'm tired of, tired of just sitting quietly and accepting that this is how it's supposed to be. It's not how it's supposed to be. So no more of that. The next line in the book that really set me off was a fat-shaming line from the heroine, who says, quote, By noon, she'd logged more than 10,000 steps on the phone app she'd downloaded to make sure she didn't get fat. Here's my problem here. Listen to that sentence, okay? This was an easy fix. By simply taking out all the words after downloaded, the point of the sentence still remains. By noon, she'd logged more than 10,000 steps on the phone app she'd downloaded. Okay, that's all you need to know. She's got an app that tells her how many steps she's done. She's walked a lot because she was at a job that was, that was uh, requiring her to walk a lot. That was the point of that sentence. Why did they then have to make the point to say that the app she downloaded was to make sure she didn't get fat? No. No, you don't do that. Come on, Chalvez and your editors, you know better. You know, this sentence is just framed as, well, getting fat is bad and that must be avoided at all costs, so this app is going to keep me from getting fat because heaven forbids I become fat. No, and we could go into an entire discussion about how weight and activity level and being healthy or not healthy are not interchangeable and they're not mutually exclusive, but that's a whole other conversation and I won't side sidestep that far off beaten path of this discussion. You know, that was just a throwaway comment that really should have been taken out. You know, it shouldn't have been written and the editors honestly should have caught it and it should have been thrown out. Like I pointed out, you get rid of that last part of the sentence where the fat shaming is and the rest of the sentence still maintains the point that she was walking a lot and the app was telling her how many steps. That's all you needed to know. Why did we have to point out that the app was there to keep her from getting fat? That's just lazy throwaway lines that 
are harmful and hurtful, and we need to stop that, okay? Stop fat shaming in our romances. Stop fat shaming, period. That just, that set me off, and I totally tweeted about it. Of course I did. I didn't say what book I was reading at the time, but surprise! It was a Jill Chalvez. Then there was also this totally bullshit line from Jacob, who says, Lucas, that was her ex, Lucas upset you today, and I guess I just want to know why you let a guy who you don't love anymore get to you. Um, excuse me, let? Why did she let a guy get to her? Is it just me? That just, the way that that was worded, the way that he kind of acted during that scene, just rubbed me the wrong way, because it sounds like, it sounds like he's trying to blame her for having a goddamn emotional reaction to her kind of shitty ex showing up in her life again, and how dare she react that way? Couldn't she just be cold and ignore him? And it's like, it's not that easy. Come on. He, it's like he's trying to control her emotions there. Maybe it's just me. I just took that line the wrong way. And again, it was a throwaway line. I don't think the author or the editors didn't think twice about it. It just hit me the wrong way. And it kind of brought to mind a quote from Hate to Want You by Alicia Rye. I will have to find that and link to it because I did not write it down before I started this podcast. But anyway, the line in that book is where the heroine there is talking about how unfair it is that society expects so much from women to carry the emotional burden in life and in their relationships, but then at the same time punishes them for being emotional. And that's kind of the that's kind of what I was getting from this throwaway line from the hero. It just kind of gave me the same vibe and it just hit me the wrong way. I just, uh, I don't really have much more to say about that. Another thing that I kind of had an issue with is this one isn't set so much in a small, tiny town. I mean, it's a touristy town in Colorado, so I don't know if it ever tells us the population, but I imagine it would be a larger town, but by no means a city at all. I mean, it's still quite small, and where it's a tourist town, obviously not all of the people that's there are going to be there all year round. Anyway, my point is, I had some inconsistencies in the fact that it was like she was trying to give us a small town feel, and yet not. And by that I mean, if it helped the plot, then secrets actually stayed secret in this town. Kind of to the point of being a bit unbelievable, that nobody knew about this, nobody was talking about this to others, Nobody saw anything, that that kind of thing. But then at other times, we're supposed to believe that this is such a small, close-knit community and everyone knows everyone and everyone's in everyone's business, blah, blah, blah. But that wasn't the case if the secret that was being kept was supposed to help with the plot or help with the conflict that was being dragged on or whatever. So there was inconsistencies there for me. For example, no one knew that Jacob had been coming back to visit his mom every year for the last nine years. Like, nobody saw... Nobody said anything. Nobody was like, hey, I saw Jacob the other day. What do you mean he didn't come and visit the rest of his family? Like, I just found that really unbelievable that a town that's supposed to be, you know, everyone knows everyone. Everyone knew the mom. Everyone knew Jacob, obviously. And yet nobody noticed or said anything about that for so long. Again, it was just kind of, it was being kept quiet because that was conflict between him and his half-siblings and his twin brother and stuff. And I just found it kind of unbelievable. And that came up with a couple other things as well, a couple other secrets and that. But I guess let's end on a little bit of a positive note, right? Because I did say this is still kind of a fun and enjoyable read. Just it wasn't perfect for me. One of the fun moments in the book is there's an autocorrect fail that turned her text of busy with my client into busy with my clit. And of course, Jacob rushes over expecting to walk into a very much different situation than what he does. 
and he's talking to her about it and she says why would you know why would i be busy with with that and he says well hey if i had a clit i'd be busy with it all day too i mean pff, men of course you would like it was just kind of a light funny moment within the story but that kind of stood out to me and there was a couple other scenes that was similar in tone to that so it's not that this one was a a complete fail I had the problems that I pointed out with some of those throwaway lines. It had some inconsistencies within the small town, kind of not so small town world building and stuff. And just like I've mentioned before, the fact that I've come to realize that Chalvez, while I enjoy enjoy her books when I'm in the right mood for them, overall they're not always the most memorable book for me in the long run. And that's kind of the case here. The narration, the narration was okay. I've mentioned this before that you know Karen. White isn't a favorite narrator for me. There's something very distinct about her voice, which can be a good thing at times. I think it adds to kind of the fun, crazy, over-the-top type of thing during a, a, you know, a really fun or silly scene. But that that part of her performance and voice and personality and whatnot is also there during scenes that are supposed to be more serious or even, you know, kind of sexy or romantic or whatever. And it makes it kind of hard for me to... I guess take those other scenes as serious because the the narration just doesn't quite match up to it. Do you know, kind of know what I'm talking about? Like I says, I don't hate her as a narrator. I've come to actually like her more than when I first listened to her do stuff. But she's just, I don't think she's ever going to be a favorite for me. It's just something about it just doesn't quite work for me. The only thing I will say specifically about her narration here is she didn't always keep the southern accent in the voice for Sophie, who is supposed to be southern and have a southern accent but I can only like I could count probably on one hand maybe on both my hands a number of times throughout the course of the audiobook where the southern accent was actually in Karen White's performance for Sophie's voice I, I feel like that should have been a lot more consistent than just a handful of times throughout the course of a book so the last book I just finished last night it was an older arc for me I think it came out in the spring yeah I know we've we've talked about this before right about how I have arcs from NetGalley and that sitting on my Kindle from like 2015 okay maybe not but actually maybe we're not going to talk about that though <laughs> My point is, this is Oversight by Santino Hassel. It is already out. I read my arc, but it is already out. You can go buy it. I gave this one, I'd say, three and a half stars. Sometimes I was tempted more towards four, but overall, I'm cutting it back to three and a half. So this is the story of Holden. He is an empath. He runs the club for a queer, the queer community, and the community meaning the Psy members. This is obviously a paranormal type MM. His dad is also one of the leaders of the community, so he's kind of kind of higher up in there and so he falls for six which was short for Sixtus could be remembering that wrong anyway he is called six <laughs> like the number six he is an invulnerable which means that he's got this natural shield so that no one's psychic powers can touch him for example Holden can't feel his emotions or hear him or anything like that and because of that it means that Six is kind of reserved and removed from the world in some ways, kind of socially awkward in others, where he doesn't pick up necessarily on emotions and social cues and stuff, and he's very kind of stoic and gruff and very straightforward, you know, no bullshit, no hitting around the bush type of thing. He is a security person, bodyguard type. He's currently tasked with watching Holden and the club. He was 
given that job by Holden's father. Six is also described as being kind of a lumber sexual. You know, he's got the long hair that's often up in a bun. He's got tattoos. He's got muscles for days. I mean, I can see why Holden was attracted to him. Yep, yep. Oh, and did I mention that Six is also a virgin, and he's bi, or pan. He doesn't actually put a label to it. He just says that he's been attracted to men and women. Yes, please, I will I will take Six. He sounds really sexy. <laughs> so a quick note, this series, this is book two. This series really should be read in order, though, because if you were to try jumping in here, you would be confused because you're not going to get any of the world-building explanations that were given to us in book one. That being said, even having read book one, I still felt like there was things that I was confused or left wanting more from in here. You're definitely going to want to start with book one, though. And trigger warning for book one, the hero in that one comes from a family who was practicing incest. So he finds out, and it's kind of a spoiler because it was later in the book, but he finds out that his father was also his uncle. So, I mean, if that's going to be something that is going to be a problem for you, know that before you pick up book one. Nothing like that is here in book two, though. Back to Holden and Six. These two were hot as hell together. I'm not sure which was hotter. Six's first blowjob experience or their first time together, completely penetration and all that. God, who am I kidding? Both of those scenes, and there was one other sex scene later on, they were all fucking hot because Santino Hassel really knows how to turn up the heat, so I have zero complaints there. What I really loved here in this book is before any of the sexual contact started between these two, Holden asks Six if he's just a virgin by choice, you know, or lack of opportunity, or if it's because he's asexual. And of course Holden then responds that no, he's not asexual, it's just by choice or lack of opportunity. And that's also when he brings up that he is attracted to both men and women. But anyway, I loved that this was on page and it was just, it's kind of like how we talk about how consent is sexy. Talking about something like this was also just, it was sexy and I loved it and thank you for putting that in there. We're getting a little bit better. I'd like to believe we're getting a little bit better um, in Romancelandia. Still not quite as inclusive as we need to be, but we're getting there. Lines like that give me hope. I didn't mention it at the first. This book is told in limited third POV. I don't even think that I've read a limited third POV anywhere except for in Harry Potter. Like, I don't feel like it's a very... At least it's not used in romance. Maybe it's used in some other genres, but it's not used in romance that I remember. But anyway, we only get this story from Holden, but it's told in third person. It's just we don't go outside of his head to see anything else. So I really, that's kind of the downfall. I really wanted to get Six's point of view because I feel like his character was left very much murky and kind of we didn't know a whole lot about him and I didn't quite get a chance to connect to him as much as I wanted to even though I found you know parts of his character obviously very fascinating. I just wanted to know more. I would have almost preferred that we'd gotten his you know, we've gotten his point of view as well. That was an issue for me in the first book, although if I remember it in the first book, it's just first point of view from only one of the heroes. So then we've got to switch to third point of view. I could be remembering that wrong, but it was definitely only from one of the heroes in the first book as well. And that's, that might be just kind of me. I've come to realize that, I've said this before, but I've come to realize that I prefer either third point of view, or if it's going to be first point of view for a romance, I really need it to be dual first point of view. I need to really get in the heads of both of the main characters to like them, connect to them, and 
fall for him and then believe the romance between the two of them. So that could be just kind of more of a me thing. I know some people are okay with just getting first point of view from one person, or in this case, limited third point of view from one person. And it's not that I hated it, it's just that I wanted... I wanted more. I felt like it was lacking by only being one-sided. So overall, I like this series and I like this book, but for me, I think that this series is not the best balance of the romance and the suspense type stuff. And then the paranormal element is very much kind of paranormal light, which is fine. I'm not necessarily complaining about it, just pointing it out. But it also means that sometimes I'm left with, you know, questions about this world and questions about what's going on. And that's definitely the case in this book. It was the case in book one as well. I felt like the last 20% or so of this book seemed more than a bit rushed just to get some things wrapped up for the plot. And that also means that it rushed the romance that was only just kind of starting to develop before the action and plot really kicked in around 75-80%. And then we're kind of rushing to get that out of the way. And the romance is kind of pushed to the side again until like the last couple pages when they're going to talk and say, you know, that they love each other or whatever. And here's the happily ever after. So I just kind of left wanting more from the romance. And I was also kind of left wanting perhaps better pacing there with the plot and action towards the end. I like this one. I like the series. But it's definitely not my favorite series from Santino Hassel. That being said, I highly recommend Hassel's writing just in general because his books are fantastic and hot and just they're good. If you're new to him, though, I would suggest starting with another series first, at least. Perhaps his Five Burrows series, or even the Cyber Love series that he co-wrote with Megan Erickson, or even his new football series that just kicked off, and I just reviewed it this summer, and we just found out on Twitter today that he sold, I believe, two more books in that series to Berkeley. So book two comes out... January or February. Maybe it's as far as March. It's in 2018. And then he has apparently been contracted for two more books in the series that I'm guessing were like 2018, 2019. But I can link to that announcement as well if you're a fan of him and you were curious what else is in the works. I recommend Santino Hassel. Maybe not this series as much, but I didn't hate this book. It's just, like I says, it's, I feel like it's light on the romance and more heavy on the suspense. And then the paranormal aspect is just kind of not quite as strong as I wanted for something that's supposed to be paranormal. But I liked it. I am currently reading Bittersweet by Serena Bowen. Um, I've heard some good things about it. I picked it up on sale earlier this year. Pat has already read it. I think she might have reviewed it. If so, I will leave a link. But she's definitely read it. And I think the rest of the series as well. She's loved it. Book four comes out in just a few weeks. So I'm not very far in. I honestly wasn't even sure what I was going to read because I finished up Oversight last night and I'm trying to figure out what I wanted to read and nothing was really jumping out and I just was being overwhelmed with all the choices on my TBR mountain as I'm sure many of you are familiar with. So I just kind of randomly flicked through some of my older ones that I had bought, you know, because I'd like to I'd like to read the ones that I have bought and not waste my money for them lingering in my TBR Mountain for a while. Uh, so I decided to pick this one up. We'll see how it goes. The hero is supposed to be a farmer. It's set in Vermont. The heroine, I believe, is a chef or training to be a chef. I'll let you guys know next week how it goes. And for my audiobook, I am currently listening to Temptations of a Wallflower by Eva Lee, which, by the way, it's currently $2.99 in ebook form. So if you're curious about it, you know, one click that. I'm really enjoying this one so far. It's book three in the series, but it can totally be read as a standalone. You wouldn't be lost. I enjoyed book one. I liked book two, but I think 
not quite as much as I did book one. Anyway, this one has a heroine who is secretly writing popular erotic fiction, and the hero is a vicar. It's just, it's delicious, and it's kind of fun, and I'm just, I'm enjoying it. Remember, I mentioned that that whole hero masturbating, that came from this book, so we'll talk about that more next week in detail after I've finished it. As long as it keeps going the way it is, I think I'm just going to have all good things to say about it next week. So fingers crossed that that remains true because, you know, sometimes I love a book and then it's went downhill. I hope this, this one is the exception to it. I hope this one is good all the way through. What are you reading this weekend? Let me know. And if you've read any of these books that I just talked about, feel free to chime in with your thoughts on them. I want to hear about it. Leave me a comment. Send me a tweet. Do whatever you got to do, okay? By the way, I just want to quickly say thank you to everyone for listening and for subscribing and sharing and tweeting me to say that you're enjoying the podcast. That means so much to me. You can't even imagine how much that means to me. It, it puts a smile on my face whenever you do it. I'm just, I'm glad to hear that you all enjoy hanging out with me like this every weekend for this super casual, sometimes rambly, definitely not professional, and I'm okay with it, book chat. And apparently you guys are okay with it too, and that just, that makes me happy. I just want to do something fun, and you know, if it's entertaining for you guys as well, then hey, that's that's all I can ask for. That's all I want. I do. I have fun doing this, though I'm going to be honest with you guys. The editing and uploading of it is a bitch and a half. <sighs> That's what I gotta go do next. And you know what? Things I do for you guys. Don't you forget it. I spend hours trying to get this up for you guys every weekend. I must I must love you guys, I guess, right? That's how I show love. Doing something that I hate so that you guys can have something fun out of it. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and read some awesome books. And until next time, enjoy TBQ.